This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We'll be checking in with a great Gildersleeve at the half hour to see what trouble he finds himself embroiled in. I always enjoy Harold Perry and his infectious laugh. Meanwhile, we begin tonight's entertainment with one of the most popular shows we air here on Theater of the Mind, starring Edmund O'Brien, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This guy kept meticulous track of his expenses while working on behalf of clients of his insurance company. And tonight, Johnny Dollar goes undercover to work in a steel mill where several longtime workers have died in suspicious accidents. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. This is Bill Hudson, Johnny. Grand Industrial Assurance. Remember? How could I forget? Who's assembly line busted down this time? It's steel, Johnny. Cornell Steel Pittsburgh. Lots of so-called accidental deaths from the open hearth furnaces. Frankly, it smacks of murder to me. Could be hot work. I'll bring my sweatshirt. When's the next plane for Smokeville? Edmund O'Brien in another transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Great Industrial Assurance Corporation of America, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of the dead first helpers. Expense account item one: eighty-three dollars and twenty-four cents plane fare to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the land of chimneys and open hearth furnaces, where I met Supervisor Joel Barrett. Five men in a single month, Mr. Dollar. All of them first helpers. What's a first helper? Well, it goes like this. The melter foreman is in charge of a number of furnaces. The first helper is in charge of an individual furnace. Under him are the second helpers and the cinder snaps. I see. Well, how did the deaths occur? In a number of ways. One man tumbled down a flight of stairs. Two were killed by a crane magnet. Another one fell from the pouring platform, and just last week, one of our best men was killed in an explosion of a hot cap bowl. You better explain that one. Uh, certain types of steel have to be capped after they've been poured from the ladle to the ingot, you see. Sometimes the pressure is so great inside of them that when the pourers shoot water on the cap to seal it, the cap flies off and sprays a man with molten steel. I've seen it happen only once, Mr. Dollar. That's enough for me. Any connection between these deaths? How do you mean? I mean any common denominator, anything that could provide a motive for murder. Well, none that I know of, uh, except for the fact that all the men had been with us for a long time, 15 or 20 years. Just the boys that know their way around, eh? That's what's so strange, Mr. Dollar. None of them have ever been found to ignore safety regulations. Uh-huh. 
Uh, how do you plan on proceeding? Well, it's been my experience that plant investigation from the outside is pretty often a waste of time. The men are on their guard. You want to go right to work in the shop? What did you say they call the lowest man on the open hearth furnace? Cindersnap. Well, you break out the overalls, Mr. Barrett. We'll see how good I am at snapping cinders. Expense account item two, 25 cents for work caps. Every other item of equipment provided by the company. Expense account item three, one dollar for blister salve and adhesive tape for hands after first eight hours of work. Expense account item four, 75 cents for liniment for back after second eight hours of work. Expense account item five, ten dollars first union fees, United Steelworkers CIO. Footnote, the fourth day on the job is the hardest. becoming a part of the making of steel. It's really something to watch the straight white-hot steam pound into the ingot molds from the ladles. And I began to know these men whom you never hear about, the men with the big backs and the soaking red bandanas around their waists, like Andre with the funny last name who got a kick out of helping me along. It's all right, Dora. You get the swing of it. It's not half so hard like you think. After a while, you get strong, get tough like nails. Oh, my aching back. Bet you never eat so good, huh? Bet you never sleep so good. Oh, I dream about lime-silicon ratios. You want to see turn tomorrow? Yeah, if you mean the midnight shift, yeah. Good, you be with me. I show you lots of things. Well, I don't mind the work, but frankly, I'm scared. You work good. They don't fire you. That's not that, Andre. I mean, cranes and... Scrap cars and ladles of steel, 3,000 degrees hot. You learn how to go around. You have no trouble. You remember the rule? You have no trouble. You'll be fine. Maybe. But some of the boys were saying that five men died in the last month. And boys that should know how to get around. Right, Andre? Accidents always happen. Fools, the old ones, they are the careless ones. They know, they think they know so well the rule, and they slip and poof. Yeah, you said it. Poof. <laughs> Sometimes it isn't so easy to make friends in a steel mill. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you know that you've lived too soft a life to ever get information from a steel man like Joe Poland. I found him in the company cafeteria. Where do you come? Chicago. You no look Chicago. What do I look? You look from office building. Where you was before? Office building. Your hand like baby, soft like milk. How'd they take you? Guess I've got an honest face. What? Give it. Eat your soup. It's getting cold. Uh. Kirk Brody. What you say? Nothing. Just Kirk Brody. Kirk Brody. How you know Kirk Brody? He dead when you come. I know. Killed by a hot cap mold. Kirk Brody friend. I like him. What good? Who was working with him, Joe? 
Macaloni. Glad it wasn't me. I'd hate to have that on my conscience. You're nosy. You maybe work for Barrett. Barrett. I don't like. Finish your soup, Joe. It's getting cold. Then there was Fred, another first helper, who helped me understand the general feeling about Mr. Barrett. You'll learn what it's like, Dollar. You married? Not yet. Well, if you were married and maybe had a couple of kids, you'd find out. You'd lie awake at night and you'd wonder, will it be me? Will I get that blue slip tomorrow? What if something happened to me? Would she get anything from the insurance? Things like that. How long have you been here? Five years. And tomorrow they can say, that's all, friend. Where are you? You sound like you know your way around, Fred. What's your idea on these accidents? Accidents? No such thing as an accident, Dollar. People who want to live cross the street with the light. Same way in steel. Like Kirk Brody, killed last week. I decided to pay Kirk Brody's widow a call. But there was so little to go on, I had nothing to lose. She lived in a cold water flat. There was still a black wreath in the door. Yes? Mrs. Brody? That's right. I wonder if I could see you for a moment. I'm with Cornell Steele. Come in. Won't you sit down? Thanks. My name is Dollar. I'm investigating the accidents that occurred in the open hearths, Mrs. Brody. I'm sorry to trouble you about it, but there are some things I have to know. Kirk was the last one. It happened three weeks ago, is that right? Yeah. Three weeks ago, Tuesday. On the accident report, it said he was killed when a hot cap blew off a mold. I knew it would happen, Mr. Dollar. I knew it would happen. It was as if I could have stopped it. Oh, Kirk was always careful, always. Only that day when he left the house, I had a feeling something was going to happen. I said, Kirk, please be careful. He smiled. It was the last I, I saw. I won't trouble you any further, Mrs. Brody. Oh, no. I, I want to tell you what's happening, Mr. Dollar. I'll tell you what it is. It was this way with Kirk. It's this way with the others. It's their jobs. They're scared for their jobs. You want to investigate. You want to investigate Barrett. He's the one to investigate. Huh. Hope nobody saw you come in here. Nobody did, Barrett. Uh, what'd you find out? Well, nothing you could call factual, but there's some kind of tension in the shop. Something's going on. Well, production is holding its own. No, they work all right. But it's like they're frightened of something. I want to look at your employment record. Well, sure thing. Uh, right in that file drawer. Thanks. You know, it, uh, it certainly is odd, Dollar. Every one of the men killed was alone at the time. No witnesses at all. Oh, Really? That's something you neglected to tell me on my first visit here, Mr. Barrett. Uh, slipped my mind. Ah, it seems several other things slipped your mind. What do you mean? Well, like a little communication I found on the bulletin board in the locker room. What communication? To the effect that due to various conditions beyond our control, layoffs will be necessary in some cases, and men will be laid off consistent with their seniority. Now, now what possible connection could that have with the five deaths? You had the answer to that question, but I had to find it out on my own. I don't call that active cooperation, Mr. Barrett. 
What's that, uh, The five John? men were killed in order of seniority. The killer, whoever he is, obviously is scared to death of losing his job. According to your files, the next man's slate of accidental death is another first helper, Mike Baroldi. Now, you knew all that. Why didn't you speak up? Well, I don't know. It, it never hit me as particularly important. You know Cornell Steele isn't laying off anybody right now. Maybe you're trying to scare them into more work. And I doubt if that's company policy, Mr. Barrett. You have your job to do, Dollar. That's to find this killer. I have my job to do. That's to boost production. Is that all right with you? Perfectly all right. And I'll take my job any day. with manganese for the tap, Dollar. I can't waste no time. Look, this won't take long. Mike, you're on somebody's death list. You know that? What are you talking about? I'm with the plant insurance company investigating the five deaths that occurred here in the last month. According to my figures, you're next. Ah, cut it out. It's not just a matter of accident, Mike. It's murder. You're the highest man in the shop in seniority outside of the Meltzer foreman. Somebody is knocking off the top of the list one by one. So just watch your step. I believe it when I see it. When you see it, Mike, it's going to be too late. That night, toward the end of the shift, must have been about six in the morning, Mike was cleaning cinders from the furnace floor on the tap hole side. I was making it my business to keep an eye on him. He was sweeping the cinders off the platform down into the empty ladle pit 30 feet below. As a first helper, it wasn't his job, but Mike was like that. Suddenly, from the other side of the furnace came the huge figure of a man in an asbestos cloak and hood over his head and body. Mike turned, and a look of terror came into his face. I started for him, but too late. Whoever it was picked Mike up, held him aloft for a split second, and hurled him to his death. And now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. the body of Mike Baroldi and I gave chase to the killer. It was like running after a brown ghost. He ducked up the aisle between furnaces and hopped gingerly over the coupling of a train of cold scrap. I wasn't so lucky. I climbed up, but my foot got caught in the coupling guide and I fell on my face. The next thing I remember, I was in the plant inspector's office. He was dismayed. He took one gander at my noggin and launched into lecture 1A of the safety inspector's manual. And look at this one. Another example. Look at his head. You're lucky to be alive. What rule did you break? Uh, section 3, code 2. Don't you be funny with me. You know, I could have you fired, you know. I'll bet you could. What have you found out about Mike Baroldi? I filled in a full report. Poor man fell over the railing while cleaning the platform. Not quite. What? He was pushed. Pushed? Who pushed him? I don't know. The killer had an asbestos cloak and hood over him. A killer? 
This is worse than I thought. You got a skeleton key to the lockers? I want to see Mike's belongings. Look, just who do you think you are? I'm with the Grand Insurance Company, mister. You give me the key, and I think we can have this thing straightened out in no time. He was so stunned, he sent me to the open-heart production office where I got a key. The locker room was empty. I went to Mike Baroldi's locker first. I found his wallet with a pass for the plant and it for $3 in cash. There was a picture of a woman holding a baby. I put the wallet back, looked through the inside pocket of his coat, empty. I closed the locker and started a methodical search of each locker in the place. About two-thirds down the first row, I came to a locker labeled Andre Lemaire. I opened it and found what I was looking for, an asbestos cloak and hood. There had been a tear on the sleeve of the cloak worn by the man who had killed Mike Baroldi. I took the cloak with me, locked up, and walked down the aisle to the door. Somebody was coming in just as I was coming out. It was Joe, big Joe Poland. What you do here, nosy? Aren't you supposed to be at work? I feel sick. Where's Andre? Andre work. Number 10? Like always, number 10. You nosy fella. I get nosier. Did you ever see this asbestos cloak before? Sure. It used to blow out topple when they put out new heat. You've seen it lately? Like on somebody? Sure, Andre, he have on coat. When? Before. Before what? I don't know, before. All right, thanks, Joe. See you later. Yeah. You tell Andre Joe sick, Joe go home. I'll tell him, Joe. Hey, hey, wait. Inspector say Mike Baroldi pushed from rail. That's right. Oh, he know. I told him. Oh, you know. I saw it. You see Andre push Mike, huh? What makes you think it was Andre? Andre, bad fellow. He don't like this, Mike. Always make trouble for this, Mike. And you don't like Andre? Sure, I don't like Andre. Why you think I tell you? Did you see Andre? I see him go to furnace where Mike is. Uh, uh, stomach too big. You go on home, Joe. You don't look so good. As far as I was concerned, there were two main possibilities, two big boys. One was Joe Poland. The other was Andre LeMayer. I stuck the asbestos cloak that I found in Andre's locker in the production office where I could get to it later. The sun had come up, and Andre was standing there, enjoying the fresh air before going down to the locker room. Hello, Della. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful day. That man should have to bury himself in this dirt and filth when all the world is so beautiful. That is the shame. No. Yeah, that's right, Andre. You going home now? Yeah, I go home now, yes. Oh, I have wonderful, wonderful uh, suggestion. Wonderful suggestion. You come home with me, huh? We have good French meal. You like good French food? Yeah, sounds great. Your wife won't mind? Sure she mind, but who cares for the wife? Ah, come. What's your name, Mr. Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Funny name. Ah, you have no sense. Woman, you do not tell a man he has funny name. I'm sorry, monsieur. No, think nothing of it. You work at mill? That's right. He'll make a wonderful worker, a very good man, because he know he think he use his head. Oh, I forget, Marie. The most terrible thing has happened. What? You know Mac Baroldi. Mac, tall, long, thin, little hair. Well, Mac is pushed from rail and killed. Oh, no. Killed. Oh, terrible, terrible. You see it, no, Dollar? Yeah, I saw it. Somebody do it. Somebody. They catch him, boy. Andre, I think it's about time I let you in on a little secret. I'm with an insurance company. I'm investigating these murders. Oh? 
I found an asbestos cloak in your locker today. I have no asbestos cloak. I saw him. I killed, Andre. The killer wore this cloak. The cloak was in your locker. Maybe you'd better take it from there. You say I killed Max? You tell me this? I take you to my house? You say terrible things to me like this? You lie to me. You say you're a friend of mine. You leave. You leave. Leave! Well, there goes some nice French cooking. Expense account, item six, 25 cents for coffee and donuts at a corner cafe. I kicked myself a couple of times for breaking out the evidence before I should have. Then I went back to the open heart office. Barrett had just arrived. He greeted me with a frown that reminded me of the last conversation we'd had. Well, Dara, have you found anything else? You heard what happened early this morning? About Mike, yes. I thought you had it all figured out. Well, I still haven't. I chased the killer across the shop, but he got away. I see. No, you don't see. He had an asbestos cloak and hood over him. Pretty clever fellow. Yeah, and pretty big. I've got it narrowed down, but that doesn't help much. I suppose you've come to look through the files again, just so you can tell who's going to be killed next? Maybe it'll be different this time, Mr. Barrett. I think I'll just take that seniority list with me, if I may. I'm, uh, I'm going to go home and get some sleep. How do you like the night shift? It's anything but dull, Mr. Barrett. I'll see you later. Expense account, item seven, one dollar even. Cab at a boarding house to which a surprise taxi driver chauffeured his first overall customer in what must have been years. Did I study the list in the cab? I did not. I grabbed a little sleep. The driver shook me awake. I paid him, went upstairs, and flopped in the cot. Then I opened the paper. The next name on the list was none other than Andre Lemaire. Expense account, item eight, 75 cents, taxi fare. I got to Andre's in 10 minutes. I was 20 minutes too late. The police were out front. He's dead. They killed him. Who killed him, Mrs. LeMaire? Killed him. Killed Who? Who, Mrs. LeMaire? The man. The big man. He killed him. Sergeant, take care. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. LeMaire. Expense account item eight, cab fare to plant. I tried to tell myself that there was nothing I could have done, that everything had pointed to Andre. But I'd seen his name on the seniority list, right below Mike Baroldi's. I'd drawn too many conclusions. It was clear now. The asbestos cloak in Andre's locker had been a frame. Maybe insurance investigators shouldn't make mistakes, but they do. And sometimes fatal ones. I could lay the blame for Andre's death on nobody but myself. Myself and a big first helper named Joe Poland. got sick, we sent him home. What's his address? I have it right here in my book. Well, bring it with you. You and I are paying a visit to Joe Poland. I hope you have a gun, Dollar. Just in case. Knock. You better stand back. Yeah. Mrs. Poland? 
Yeah? Your husband home? No. Where from the mills? This is Mr. Barrett. Huh? Where can we find your husband, Mrs. Pollan? He's not home. Mind if we come in and see? He's not home. Go away. He's I'm not home. I'm sorry, Mrs. Pollan. We'll have to make sure. You stop. You try that door, Barrett. I, I think you'd better try it. You go. Right. You go. I call police. He's not here, Barrett. He's not home. I told you. He's not home. Mrs. Pollan, you may not know it, but your husband is wanted for murder. Murder? Yeah. Now, come on. Tell us where he is. You from Mills? I tell you nothing. Uh, hey, look, Mrs. Pollan, be reasonable. Reasonable. You be reasonable. Five kids. Be reasonable. This place be reasonable. Mills be reasonable. That it. You go. I call police. Come on, David. You must have a peculiar theory of management, Barrett. I've been in dozens of plants, and I've never seen anybody loved like you are. What do you do to them? My theory of management is very simple. Men work better when the pressure's on. There it is, cruel but true. I have the top production result in the plant. You can't beat that. How did you ever get off a bookkeeper's stool and into a mill? How did you ever get to be a supervisor? I'd like to meet the man that hired you. I give you ten days as a supervisor in the steel mills, Dollar. You'd change your opinions fast. Men are no different now than they ever were. Give them an inch, they take a mile. Give them five minutes off, they take an hour. Let them out of your sight for a minute, and they're playing cards in a corner. You know, men are more than figures on a production chart. Could that be why you lost a lot of good first helpers, Barrett? Ah, one maniac runs loose, and you condemn the whole method. Ah, sorry, Dollar. You've got a lot to learn about the practical management. You'd better just stick to investigation. And from the way you've messed this case up, I'd say you were the one who had a lot to learn in his field. We rode back to the plant without a word. It wasn't just anger. There was so much difference between us, there was just nothing to say. Barrett got off and said he'd call the police if I had proof that Joe Poland was the killer. I said I didn't have any proof and for him to call the police anyhow. I took the stairs to the furnace floor. I knew Poland would be there. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. I wandered from furnace shanty to furnace shanty. I found him at number 12. He was cleaning out the clay of the tap hole before the pour. Joe! Yeah? Take off the hood. What? Come on, Joe, it's all over. Dollar! No good, Dollar! Nobody takes job away from Joe. You see the list? I on top of lift now, Dollar. I top of lift. Now nobody takes job away. My kids, my wife, they be good now. No live back. I get big raise now. I top of lift. But if no fire be here, stay away, Joe. Joe will shoot. And then he came at me again as steady as before. The small trickles of blood started down his chest. Stop, Joe. His legs this time. He gripped it once, then let go. There was no expression of pain on his face, just determination. I was the last man in his way. After I was gone, he had a clear road. Fury. Then he was on his huge hands gripping my throat. Below me, I could feel a steel freshly poured steel bubbling in his face. Then I shot again. Close quarters this time, and right for the heart. Slowly, the hands relaxed. 
The huge body slumped over the railing and fell. There was a hiss and puff of steam. I stood up. My legs were trembling under me. I looked down, shielding my face. There was nothing to see. The slag had covered over. $20.53. Flowers for Joe Poland's funeral. They buried a block of steel in place of his body. Barrett was standing there, standing to one side, and Mrs. Poland and Mrs. Brody and Mrs. LaMare. When the minister finished his little speech, Mrs. Poland turned to Barrett. I've never seen hate like that in anyone's eyes. Murderer. You killed him. You killed him, Barrett. You killed them all. You still kill them. They'll all die of your someday, Come on, someday, Mrs. Poland, come on. That isn't going to... Murderer! Murderer! Hi, Marie Lamia. Let me take you home. Well, Mrs. Poland went home with the woman whose husband Joe had killed. And I wondered who are the murderers and where does murder start. Though I don't like to see anyone lose his job, I like petty Simon Legree's even less. So I'm pleased to report that Joel Barrett has been replaced as supervisor. I finally concluded that if you trace a murder far enough, you get right back to every one of them. Expense account total $520.25. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien and was written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in the Harry M. Popkin United Artists production, D.O.A. Featured in our cast were Joe Forte, Junius Matthews, Jack Petruzzi, Raymond Burr, Jack Crucian, Kay Stewart, and Peggy Weber. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us again next week when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien will return in another transcribed adventure of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for the great Gildersleeve, who wants to hire a new secretary but has trouble finding any applicants. Kraft presents the great Gildersleeve. Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, present Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you the Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Wheaton and Sam Moore, with music by Claude Sweeten.
let's see how things are going with the great Gildersleeve. Well, it's a matter of public record. In the want-ad section of the Summerfield Indicator on May 26th appeared this item. Wanted secretary. Must be experienced in neat appearing. Able to take dictation, do typing, filing, bookkeeping. Bring references. Supply water department between 9 and 10 a.m. From the Summerfield Indicator of May 30th. Wanted secretary at water department. No experience necessary. From the Summerfield Indicator of May 31st. Girl wanted at water department. $25 a week in car fare. From the Summerfield Indicator of June 1st. Girls make big money this easy way. (laughs) Personal assistant to important executive in essential industry. Big future, generous salary, Saturdays off, two hours for lunch, vacation with pay. Apply now and get in on the water department picnic, June 16th. (laughs) Prizes for all. Don't miss it. Throckmorton P. Gillersleeve, Summerfield 2371, phone day or night. Anybody phone, Bertie? No, sir. Phone didn't ring all day. Nuts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good evening, Bertie. Yes, sir. Good evening, sir. How long before dinner? I'm going to have to go back to the office and work tonight. Dinner's in the oven right now, Mr. Gillsleeve. Won't be but a few minutes. I'm just finishing setting the table here. Yeah, I'm going to have to work late tonight. Till all hours, I'm afraid. Where are the dickens? You'll is... find the evening paper right beside your chair there. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I'll probably work till one or two o'clock in the morning. Maybe three. You'll be wanting coffee with your dinner then. Buckets of it. I thought you were going to get Miss Marjorie to help you down at the office, Mr. Gillsleeve. Well, that didn't work out. Where is Marjorie? She's upstairs doing her homework. Homework? Oh, where's Leroy? He's doing his homework, too. Both of them doing their homework? Yes, sir, that's right. Hmm. Must have gotten their report cards today. <laughs> I guess you can come and sit down now, Mr. Gillsleeve. Things are just about ready. Good, Bertie. Thank you. Marjorie, Leroy. What do you want? Dinner. Okay. Come on, Marge. Dinner. Who the... I'll go, Bertie. Oh, it's that Bullard kid. Can Leroy play? I'm afraid not, Craig. It's Leroy's dinner time. Must be your dinner time, too. I've had my dinner. Oh. (laughs) Well, Leroy hasn't had his yet, so... I want Leroy to play with me. Well, Leroy would be very glad to play with you, I'm sure. <laughs> but it just so happens that we're just sitting down to dinner, so perhaps some other time. I want him to play with me. Look here, you're letting in the flies. Either come in or stay out. I'll come in. All right, but I warn you, we're sitting down to dinner. Hi, Al, guess what I did in school today? I... Oh, it's you. Hi, Leroy. Little friend of yours, Leroy. Can you play? No, I'm busy. <laughs> Leroy, come here a minute, my boy. See if you can find a way to get him to go home, will you? Go home! <laughs> no, Leroy, not that way. Now, Craig, your mother's looking for you, I'm afraid. No, she's not. My mother's not home. Oh. <laughs> well, your father is then. Your father's looking for you. No, he's not. He's looking for my mother. <laughs> what was that? Mr. Gillsleeve, get it on the table. Oh, right away, Bertie. Marjorie! Right down. Now, Craig, I don't know what you're going to do, but we're going to eat. Well, my dear. Hello, Uncle. 
Craigie. Have a good day. Horrible, horrible. Have to go back tonight. Oh, hello, Craigie. Hi. Somebody at the door. They've crumb come for Craig, maybe. <laughs> oh, hi. I'm really looking for my kid brother. Is he here? I'll say. Hello, Marshall. Oh, hello, Marjorie. Gosh. Yeah, good evening, my boy. Oh, good evening, sir. Gee, Marge, I haven't seen you in two or three days, it seems like. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know. I've been busy. I saw you after Jim yesterday, but you didn't see me. Yes, yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Something's getting cold. Yeah, right away, Bertie. Uh, so you've come for your little brother, eh, Marshall? Well, Craig? Oh, yes. Uh, get your things, punk. We're going home. Say, Marge, what are you going to be doing after? Oh, I don't know. Nothing particular. What are you going to be doing? Nothing particular. Yes, yes. Come <laughs> so on, Marshall. Let's go home. Wait a minute. We could do our history together, Marge. Well, I've done my history, but I guess I could go over it again. Marshall, come on. I want to go home. Keep your shirt on. I'll tell you what we could do. Excuse me, shall I put it back in the oven? Spare ribs, you leave it right where it is, Bertie I'm going to eat if I have to eat alone You'll pardon me, Marshal, if I partake of my supper Which has now been cooling on the table for some 15 or 20 minutes What's that? Oh, yeah, go right ahead Thank you very much Bertie, so help me those are the finest spare ribs I ever set tooth to. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed them. They're kind of hard to get these days. You know, Bertie, what you ought to do? You ought to open up a little place, a little restaurant, where you could serve nothing but spare ribs. Spare ribs and coffee. You'd make a fortune. Oh, go on. I mean it. Wouldn't she, Leroy? Uh-huh. Here, you better let me bring you a finger bowl, Mr. Gillsleeve. Uh, you better bring Leroy a tub. <laughs> I hate spare ribs. It's so hard to get any meat. Well, if you weren't afraid to pick them up on your fingers. But they're so greasy. It's the only way to eat them, my dear. Miss Pris, look at me. I'm not afraid. You don't have to rub it in your hair. <laughs> now, children, there's something I want to speak to you about, both of you. Doorbell. And that's it. No more of your friends calling at mealtime. Do you understand? No more. Leroy, sit still. But there's somebody at the door. Bertie is quite capable of answering it. Bertie? I'm coming. If that's a friend of Leroy's, Bertie, just tell him to go away. Yes, sir. I'll not have our meals made a shambles by these constant interruptions. Your friends haven't manners enough not to call at dinner time, yes, Bertie? It's for you, Miss Gillespie, Miss Ransom. Ha! <laughs> Leroy. Uh, will you excuse me, my dear? Well, just this once. I showed into the parlor, Mr. Gilsey. Oh, thank you, Bertie. Well, Leela. <laughs> I'm afraid I've come at a very bad time, Throckmorton. No, not at all. <laughs> I was just finishing dinner. After hurry down to the office. This evening? Yeah, 2,000 bills to get out, no secretary. Oh, dear. I was hoping we could have a nice long talk. Well, I'll tell you about it quickly then. I have the most wonderful idea. Oh, what's that? I'm thinking of going into the antique business. Antiques? Yes. You see, I've got that big old high boy over there that belonged to my grandmother Beecham. It's no use to me in the world, and it's just in the way, and I thought, well, now, why don't I just sell it? 
But, Lily, you'd need more than one high boy. One sale and you'd be out of business. Well, it wouldn't just be antiques. I could do interior decorating, too. People have always told me I had a natural color sense and a, a knack for making things homelike, if I do say so myself. Oh, you have, definitely. <laughs> but starting a business... Oh, uh, this wouldn't be like a business, exactly. But I do think women should do something these days, don't you? After all, with the war on. So I thought if I could open this antique shop and at the same time be helping the war effort... Help the war effort? I don't get the connection. Well, gracious, if you're going to do nothing but discourage me... Leela, I'm not trying to discourage you. If you want to do something, that's great. But, say, why don't you come to work for me? Work for you? What kind of work, Throckmorton? At the water department. You'd be my personal secretary. Secretary to the water commissioner. How would you like that? Will you do it, Leela? Well, I don't know, Throckmorton. I kind of had my heart set on an antique shop. After all, there's my grandmother Beecham's high boy there. Just for a week. Try it for a week, and if you don't like it, we'll call it quits. Why? All you have to do is address the bills. Address bills? And be my private secretary. Well, all right, Throckmorton, I'll do it. Maybe this is a good way to start. Sure. But you'll have to pay me, understand? I'm terribly expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure we can come to terms, Leela. See you at the office, then, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock? 9.15, then. 9.30? Well, if I can make it. Great, 9.30. Uh, there's just one trouble about all this, Throckmorton. What's that? Doesn't solve a thing about my grandmother Beecham's high boy. It's... Oh, but I'm keeping you from your dinner. We'll worry about that later. I'll be running along now. See you at 10. Huh? Oh, oh yeah, see you at 10, yeah. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye. Gee, I gotta get going. I'll have my dessert now, Bertie. Oh, quarter to eight, this very minute. Pass the cream, will you, Marjorie? Leroy, pass... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Well? What am I hurrying for? I just hired a secretary. Hee-hee! Let's get back to the great Gildersleeve, who, having engaged a secretary, feels like a real executive for the first time in a week. At least he did feel like an executive. Now, however, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, and Leela has not yet arrived at the office. Water department, good morning. You want your water disconnected? You bet. What's your name, please? Delahanty. D-E-L... <laughs> Pardon me, there's a call on our other line. Water department, good morning. Want your water turned on? Certainly. What if you'd mind holding a line for just a minute? Thank you. Now, hello, Mrs. Delahanty. Oh, Mr. Delahanty. <laughs> Pardon me. Sorry to keep you waiting, but I... Leela, where have you been? Good morning, Throckmorton. I brought you some flowers. Yes. Just a minute, Mr. Delahanty. Leela, take this call while I handle the other one. But I don't know what it's about. Just take it, will you please? Now. You want your water turned on, you say? Hello? Was that name McCutcheon? 
Well, what is it you want, please? The Dutchess. Yeah, and the address, please. Well, you didn't tell me what you wanted. Uh, 279 Lakeside. Yes, sir. Well, I'm sure there's someone here who can help you, madam. He's a man, Leela. Uh, you bet, Mr. McCutcheon. You'll have somebody over there this afternoon. Yes, sir. Just a minute. I think Mr. Gildersleeve may be able to help you if you... Oh, you have no right to speak to me in that tone of voice. Leela? Well, you may be a customer, but you're no gentleman. Leela, give me the phone. Give me the phone. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Delahanty. <laughs> yes, sir. You bet. Well, new girl, you know. Just started this morning. You know how that is. Why? <laughs> yes, sir. 316 Valley Road. Yeah, take care of it this afternoon. Sure, Mr. Delahanty. You bet. I don't think I'm going to like it here, Throckmorton. Why not? Well, if you're going to be rude to me... Me? Now, how have I been rude? You haven't even said good morning. You never thanked me for the flowers. I haven't had a chance, Leela. I've been on the phone ever since you came in. I think the flowers are lovely. There's 2,000 bills over there that should have gone out last week. Frogmore, you haven't said a word about my dress. Dress? It's new. I bought it specially for the office. Cute. <laughs> do, you, do you really like it? I should say I do. Now, about the bills. I please. thought I should get something not too dressy so that people who came in would know I was tending strictly to business. Uh, but at the same time... <laughs> at the same time, I wanted something feminine so you could feel proud of me when you take me to lunch. Lunch? Well, it's a little early, but if you're hungry, let's go. Um, I'm free tomorrow and Thursday, Frogmorton, but Friday I already have a day. But, Leela, oh, I... I... Uh, hello, Phoebe. Well, well Mr. Gillespie. Quite a stranger. <laughs> what can I do for you this fine day? Just a sandwich and a glass of milk, please. Yes, sir. Seeing it's Friday, how about a nice tuna sandwich? What else have you got? That's all. All right, tuna. <laughs> and a glass of milk. You uh, haven't been ill, have you, Mr. Gildersleeve? Ill? No. Here's your sandwich. And your milk. I guess it's just that you haven't been in for several days. Well, I've been lunching at the Summerfield Grill. Noisy place. <laughs> yes, it is a little noisy. That businessman's blue plate they put up is a fairly nutritious meal. Runs into money, though, at 40 cents a day. Well, I've been going a la carte, Peavy. You don't say. Yeah, a la carte for two. Uh, lady, I take it. Well, my secretary. Yes, she's a lady. That's what I say. But this is purely a business arrangement, Peavy. Oh, naturally. Well, it is. It just happens that... Well, I've engaged Mrs. Ransom as my secretary for the time being. Oh. I didn't realize Mrs. Ransom had had secretarial training. She hasn't. No shorthand? No. Probably operates a typewriter, though. No, she doesn't operate a typewriter. Uh, understand bookkeeping? No! But nevertheless and notwithstanding, it's purely a business arrangement. That's what I say. <laughs> Uh, aren't you going to finish your sandwich, Mr. Gildersleeve? No, I'm going to the Summerfield Grill for the businessman's blue plate. It's the only place in town where a man can eat in peace and quiet. Well, now, I... Don't say it! Ye gods, TV! <laughs> hmm. 
fat man shouldn't get excited like that. <laughs> oh, well, it's his blood pressure. Hmm. Where is she? Leela! In my... Oh. Here I am, curled up in your big chair. Well. Anybody call me? No, but an awful man came in. He claimed he was your engineer out at the reservoir, but I just know you wouldn't have a man like that working for you. Did he say his name was Uncle Charlie? He didn't say. He was just a nasty old man with nasty old gray whiskers, and he used a... (laughs) He used a type of language to which I'm hardly accustomed. Yeah, that's Uncle Charlie, all right. He frightened me, Throckmorton. I gave him a quad and told him to go on about his business. Oh. <laughs> Uncle Charlie wouldn't like that, Leela. Well, I guess he'll be back. Anything else? Uh, some tool salesman called. I told him you weren't interested. Tool salesman? Uh-huh. Wasn't the fellow from the Tri-State Tool and Valve, was it? That sounds like the name. Oh, my goodness, Leela. I've been after that man for a month. We need a new snifter valve out at the reservoir. What kind of valve? Sniff, never mind, Leela. <laughs> Oh, well, back to the old grind. Oh, you work awfully hard, Throckmorton. I had no idea you worked so hard. Yeah, that's a man's life, Leela. Shoulder to the wheel, nose to the grindstone. Mm, I suppose so. You know something? I was a little nervous when I first came down here to work for you. Nervous? What about? Well, you see, I happen to know what goes on between the average businessman and his secretary. <laughs> Where do people get these ideas? That's a lot of nonsense, Leela. That kind of thing only goes on in the movies. Where there's smoke, there's fire, Throckmorton. Well, there may be an occasional case. But if a man ever gets mixed up with a secretary, he'll never get any work done. Mm, absolutely. Anyhow, I decided I'd just let you know right off at the start that as far as I'm concerned, our relations will be strictly business. Okay. <laughs> Well, I guess I better call the Tri-State Tool people. Oh, you really should relax for a few minutes after lunch, Throckmorton. You drive yourself too hard, you poor boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I got to get after that snifter valve, Leela. Oh, I'll call the man for you. I like doing things for you. Well, I wish you'd finish up those bills. After all, that's the main reason I got you in here. Oh, but look at all the other ways I'm being useful. I sharpened all your pencils this morning. Did you notice? <laughs> Where are my pencils, Leela? I couldn't find them. Oh, I'll put them right here in your desk drawer. Huh? Oh, that's funny. I don't see them. I must have left them out there by the pencil sharpener. Oh, great. Well, thanks, anyway. <laughs> I think I'm going to like being your secretary, Throckmorton. Well, that's good. I've always been afraid to work before because I was just sure some man would try to take advantage of a business relationship. Well, nothing to be afraid of. Probably isn't one businessman in Summerfield to do a thing like that. Well, I happen to know that's not true. You know that office building across the street from Dr. Peck, the dentist? Yeah. What about it? Well, the last time I went to Dr. Peck, there was some man kissing his secretary in the office across the way. Hmm. I wonder who has that office. <laughs> I don't know, but I got so interested I forgot to ask for Novocaine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you've given me an idea, Leila. Really? What? 
Gosh. I think I'll take advantage of our business relationship. Throckmorton, <laughs> yeah. don't you dare. Oh, just one little kiss. What harm can be done? <laughs> don't come near me, you hear? Come on now, Leela. Come here, you little bitch. Now I've got you. Now give me a kiss first. Uh, Charlie, what's the idea walking in here without knocking? Knocking? I heard the dad busted rummus going on in here, and I thought maybe somebody was robbing the place. Oh, how humiliating. Uh, don't worry, Leela. Charlie won't say anything about this. Rockmon, you're disgusting. What's that, sister? I'm not your sister. <laughs> if you'll excuse me, Mr. Gildersleeve, I shall continue with my regular duties. <laughs> Confound it, Charlie. You ought to have more brains than to come busting in here like that. I thought you'd reach the age of sense, Commissioner. I have not. <laughs> Who the dickens is that woman, anyway? She happens to be my secretary, Charlie. Your secretary? Well, I thought the last one was bad, but this one takes the cake. <laughs> Did she tell you that I was in to see you a while ago? She said something about it, yes. She treated me as if I was some kind of a dad-busted bum. And that ain't all. Al Kingman just called me from the Tri-State Tour and Valve. Said she threw him out on his piazza, too. <laughs> well, that's not true. She just, uh, well, she's just trying to postpone now. Hmm. Postponed him? <laughs> Commissioner, you can call her whatever your dad brain please. But a woman like that's got no place in the water department. Now, Charlie, it's very hard to get help these days. You're not fooling me a bit, Mr. Gildersleeve. If I hadn't happened to walk in, catch her red-handed, that'd be different. But, Charlie... <laughs> you just get rid of this overage blonde and hire a woman that can tend to business. <laughs> You're talking a little loud, Charlie. Hey, you'd better get another girl. But I don't know where to find anybody else. <laughs> then I'll ask you one more question. Do you know where to find another engineer? Well, I could probably... Charlie, you wouldn't be... The heck I wouldn't. You think it over, Commissioner. It's either me or... It's her. <laughs> Charlie, I'll I'll get rid of her. Yeah, the question is, how? How to do it. How to do it. I'm going home now, Mr. Gildersleeve. Huh? Don't forget to lock the office. Oh, um, wait a minute. Uh, Leela... What is it? I'm sorry I forgot myself this afternoon. I'd prefer not to discuss it, if you don't mind. Goodbye. You're not thinking of uh, quitting, are you? No. I've made a bargain, and I'll stick to it. Oh. Providing you can remember to be a gentleman. Hmm. <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> uh, you know, you're developing into a darn good businesswoman, Leela. Hmm, you think so? Oh, one of the best. I never would have thought that. Well, you know. Oh, you're just like all the rest. You think just because a woman is attractive, she can't possibly have any brains or executive ability. Well, I was wrong. In fact, I was so wrong, I think maybe I'm being a little selfish in keeping you just as a secretary. It seems awfully sudden for promotions, Rock Martin, but if you have confidence uh, in... You no, know, it isn't exactly that, Leela, but I've been thinking about that antique business you mentioned the other day. I think you could make a go of that, Leela. Oh, I'm sure I could. Oh, why don't you try it? Perhaps I will, someday. Oh, not someday. Now, Strike now, now while the iron is hot. Open up a business. Make yourself some real money. 
Get a few more pieces of furniture into your house, Leela, and stuff you can sell, of course. Then have a grand opening. Send out engraved invitations. Hire a caterer and some music. That's it. But you've got to get organized now, Leela. Time is of the essence. I'll do it. Of course, there's one problem. What? That grand opening and all might cost quite a bit of money. Oh, 75 rated dollars will take care of the whole thing. Would it? Sure. Oh, Throckmorton, you're so smart. You just know everything. Yeah. Well, pretty near, anyway. <laughs> I'll bet you can even think of a way for me to raise that $75, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I'll bet I can, Leela. Oh, how do I get into these things? Miss Gillsleeve, you busy? Uh, no, Bertie, just balancing my checkbook. 18, 25, 31... I was thinking about what you said the other day. Oh? I talked to my friend about it, and he knows where I can get a place. Place? Yes, sir. He thinks I could rent it for $25 a month. Twenty-five? What are you talking about, Bertie? About what you said the other day. Don't you remember? You said I should open up a place and sell spare ribs. Bertie, you want to keep working here, don't you? Oh, yes, sir. Then don't ever pay any attention to anything I say. <laughs> Good night, Bertie. Good night, everybody. <laughs> on this program was directed by Claude Sweet. This is Vern Smith speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products. Kraft invites you to listen in again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Bob Hope Show, followed by Gunsmoke. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.